2: $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast. Is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my
2: God, we've summoned something from this board. This
3: is Uncanny USA.
0: He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
3: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
2: Hello,
0: welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I'm Ben. You're you. And if
1: you are one of the people who happens to live in the United States and you're an average household, then you have around $130,922 in debt. And of that, $15,762 can be attributed to credit cards. Holy mackerel. Yeah, we're starting off on a positive note today, my
0: friends. You know what? I think, again, this is the second time I've been slightly below average. Yeehaw. Same, you know, but yeah. it doesn't feel great.
2: <laughs> oh,
4: wait,
0: No. I am way above average. I bought, oh, a house. you gotta count the house. The way counting oh, the house, Does the house no. count?
4: Uh, if you count a mortgage, yeah. that's interesting. Oh you know? gosh.
0: Okay. Well, then I'm well above average then.
4: But I, but doesn't the mortgage kind of count as, as an investment? I mean, it, it depreciates over time. So it's not quite the same as being in debt, but I guess it's looked at that way by creditors.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It feels that way now, now that I'm
1: thinking about it. And, uh, you know, the reason that there's so much debt has been uh, talked about at length for a long time by so many people, we often, we being the majority of the public across the globe, we often don't have the best or most sophisticated understanding of what this is, and that's why a, we, as a species, become embroiled in these strange situations sometimes when all of a sudden, like consider the Great Depression, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are starving in the cities, right? But in the rural Midwest, in the farming country, farmers are throwing milk away and just gutting pigs and saving what they can because the price on those animals and that you know, that mm-hmm. that beverage, I guess, uh, has tanked. Some feels weird about calling milk a beverage. But you see what I'm saying? Yes, like, that's. And and then the reason people would come to find that folks were starving in one place while people were uh, trashing resources in another was due to something called the economy. Right. What And right. And then people would say people would uh, the pundits would be on the radio, the populist the nationalists, the whomevers would be on the radio arguing why they alone understood uh, the one true economy or what that thing should be. And now we're in a world where I guess I want to start off with a question. So did you guys have economics classes in high school or in middle school?
4: I did, but I felt like I feel like it was rolled into something else. Or it was like we got half an economics class, and the, like the other half was was civics or something like that, you know. But
0: my memory mm. of those days is a little hazy. Maybe I, that's yeah. maybe that's made up. <laughs> I I got home ec. Yeah, I took home ec. Not the same thing. Uh, no, I mean it was yeah, home ec because is like a it was personal finance. It was personal finance. I thought home ec, how to ec was like sewing and stuff. It was all. It was all that kind of stuff, oh, like how okay. to how to manage your your stuff.
4: But it didn't teach you how the Fed worked. No. No.
0: Like how to how to write a check effectively.
4: Right. One of the things that
1: I always think about is, you know, you're right, Matt, for many people, at least in this country, the closest thing people are offered to a personal finance class in a public school is going to be home economics. Mm-hmm. However, the individual person would probably be in a much better position today if personal finance classes were mandatory. Sure. And I know people don't like. Big Brother federal mandates, but that's an individual education that is that is necessary to survive. A lot of people don't get that, and that's why we end up in a country where uh, the total debt owed by US consumers I can break it down. Please. I hear it. Oh yeah, okay. here. All right. Uh let's see.
4: Now it's time for a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh gosh, yeah. It's
1: the most depressing one. Uh do we have a backbeat for this? Oh yeah. Okay. So, credit cards, $733 billion. Pales in comparison, of course, to auto loans, $1.08 trillion. And then we have student loans, $1.23 trillion. And finally, mortgages. 8.25 trillion dollars.
0: Whoa. So all of the, these numbers, these massive numbers, this is debt. Um, it's money that I guess needs to be paid. W- what is debt exactly? It's called
4: American dream dollars. Oh, mm-hmm. as in imaginary dollars. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Which- is see this episode today? We
1: are talking about that, and that I'm I'm laughing because Noel, what you just said ties into so many other episodes we could do. Mm-hmm. It, it hit us in our the course of our research before we went on the air this week that currency itself is just a,
4: a fascinating weird thing. It's an agreement we make. It totally is. It's like it could be shells, you know, buka yeah. shells, or, or or a handful of sand.
1: When you were a kid, did you ever play the game where you just all agreed that the floor was lava? Yeah, it's like that, but with prizes, and you can move the floor from under people. Whoa, I know that's that's a very biased thing, but well, yeah. What is what is debt? Uh That that's the question we start with today, even though it's not our ultimate question. So the the good, the bad, the ugly of debt. Well, uh, it does do some. Oh, nice.
2: Copyright. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Was that Inio Morricone? Of course. Oh, man. He's so the master. My favorite soundtrack. I'm going nice. to go listen to that for the rest of the weekend. But uh the good part about debt, and there are good parts, is that it sort of makes the world go round. What are some of the good things that this debt system does?
4: So in the most basic of terms, debt is, it's, it's an IOU. I mean, it's without going into the entire history of currency and money as we know it. One time they used peppercorns. Peppercorns sure. were a currency. Well, that's got a function. It makes your food nice and spicy. Yeah. But you know, I mean, many forms of currency were redeemable IOUs. I mean, that is essentially what currency boils down to is a redeemable IOU for good or service. Either physically, they contain some sort of valuable Material, a metal, gem, what have you, mm-hmm. puka shell, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, or they were redeemable for the same amount of a a different material.
1: Okay, yeah. So, like, uh, an example for folks in the U.S., and I know our numbers are pretty U.S.-centric at this point, but we can get bigger. Uh, in the U.S., there were these things called silver certificates, which uh, fans of certain JFK assassination theories will be familiar with. And until 1964, these silver certificates legally could be redeemed for the amount of silver that was mentioned on the currency. And then they stopped. Yep.
0: But the reason, the reason why money, why currency is so important to the functioning of society is that all the goods and services that are available for trading in some way or another they get boiled down to this common denominator where you have x amount of this mm-hmm. and i want to give you this uh, i have x amount of this I want to give you this we can trade with this one thing rather than having to break down exactly how much uh, a goat is worth in terms of wheat or something like that mm-hmm. or you know a car in terms Puka of shells. yeah or Puka t-shirts shells. or something strange yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why I'm hung up on puka shells. Today. I think, I think, uh,
4: you know, maybe you could bring it back. I think it's because I went to that widespread panic concert last night and, and saw a lot of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. I, uh, I got a text from you at 3 a.m. was
4: just an animated gif of a puka shell dancing furiously. <laughs> dancing furiously. But what about liquidity? That's interesting and very, very, very important component of all this.
1: Yeah, that's what, you, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about to a degree is that, that advantage of this. This stand-in. So I, I love what you said earlier, Noel, with, you know, the idea that money is essentially debt. It's a currency we carry around mm-hmm. is, is a debt. It's an IOU. That was, that was the way you said it. And the reason it works currently is one, because everybody agrees that it should. And two, or virtually everybody agrees, most people agree. And two, uh, the liquidity it offers is so vastly superior to the bartering system for the following thing okay so let's say matt has uh matt is selling what kind of car are you selling matt uh Kuntosh. matt is finally selling his coontosh that's not a real
0: car yeah, yeah it is, is. It's a it lamborghini
4: is. yeah <laughs> clearly i'm not
2: a car guy but
1: <laughs> matt matt is selling his coontosh and noel you decide you're going to be a car guy and uh, because money doesn't exist, you're going to break into your puka shell savings. But the problem is that you don't live in the same town, ah. So you have to move this thing, and then you have to also. Let's say it's a lot of puka shell. How many puka shells do you think you would? Oh, that's
0: have? a lot. I'm gonna say a billion, couple trillion. Yeah, okay. Couple trillion. Okay. So
1: too many for Noel to comfortably carry, mm-hmm. right? You can't. You'd lose so much, you'd lose so much shell just getting the shells there.
4: So I guess what I have to do is find some sort of financial institution that will take my puka shells from me, Mm -hmm. put them in some sort of puka shell storage facility (laughs) and then give me the equivalent in, let's call them internet monies yeah. that can then be wired or transferred or moved around electronically. BitConk. Sure. BitConk. <laughs> that's great. Oh, man. Oh, wow. You're killing it today, buddy. <laughs> and then I can send that over the interwebs to the place where I want to pay to for this. Me, to me. To Matt. In Moore's, my banking yeah. institution. Right. Right. Which and, only stores kuntashes. <laughs> right. That's, that's currency. And then there, there, therein you have a very rudimentary, absurdist uh, representation <laughs> of the way business is uh, done these days.
1: Right. And one of the most important parts there is that Noel in this situation will then have a representative, a representative token essentially of a value or an asset that he possesses. So, In theory, this promotes stability in trade, and in theory, when nations are involved in mutually beneficial trade agreements, there's more stability in the world, allegedly. Yes. (laughs) Mutually beneficial. Yes. I'm just going to repeat words from that earlier sentence, theoretically.
0: So these money systems and these debts ultimately, because that's what they are, they can, they can be great for society and help them function and, and, uh, work better together. The problem is they can also wreak massive, disastrous, sometimes even, uh, fatal things upon society and individual people. Yeah. You've,
1: you may have at some point in your life met someone who, uh, referred to folks who have a nine-to-five job as wage slaves. That's pretty biased, but the heart of that argument harkens back to the idea of indentured servitude. So indentured servitude would be some deal. Um, the first one that springs to mind is people who wanted to travel to a different country, right? Mm-hmm. But could not afford the trip. The cost of, let's say, hopping a boat across the Atlantic. Sure, But, if you agree to essentially work only for room and board for seven years, then they will consider your debt paid if they're not playing a crooked game, yep. right? And many of those games are crooked. So the argument there would be that wage sl- slaves, as the term goes, are a new form of indentured servitude. Uh, we're addicted to an IV of money, whether that's hourly, salary, or commission. And we're addicted to that because we're less of a Value generator as an individual, if we're that person and more of a node for debt and assets to interact. So you, that's why people can make a hundred thousand dollars a year or who knows, who knows how high this goes, a million dollars a year and still be just getting by due to, due to crippling debt. And then of course that ties into, you know, a similar argument would be forced labor. And we can save debtor prison for another show. Cause
4: is that still a thing? I, it's, it's making
1: a comeback in some yeah. places. Yeah. Wait. Uh, I thought it had been here for years. <laughs> oh, but it's making a comeback with interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the U S, Matt, is that true?
0: Uh, well, yeah, it's not necessarily the same equivalent, right? A debtor prison where. I owe debts, I can't pay them, now I have to go live in this cell.
4: Um, Actually, there's, I just uh, hit a story, I typed in on Google and mm-hmm. it, one of the instant results was debtor prisons are back. Top hit from 14 mm-hmm. is Supreme
0: Court ruling not enough to prevent debtors prison. Yeah, um, yeah. So you can, if you have massive amounts of debt, you can go to prison for it in certain instances.
1: I thought that, I th- think a lot of the stories too that popped up recently As in the last few years occurred because there were, um, usurious court fees, legal fees. And when people could not, could not pay those fees, they would be incarcerated until such time as those fees were paid, which is surreal. And how do you make money
0: when you're hanging out in a prison all day long, every day?
1: And then of course that brings us to bankruptcy, which, uh, unfortunately. The golden parachute. The, gold, the golden parachute. Which unfortunately too many people are familiar with and works differently
4: for the wealthy than it does for the poor. Mm-hmm. Completely differently. Completely. Anytime you hear about a regular Joe Schmo declaring bankruptcy, they have to work and scrap and save and hustle for years Mm -hmm. to get that off their record, to get back to a place where anyone will give them a loan again. And as we know for certain folks that are in the public eye right now, happened multiple times and, uh, doesn't seem to be any long lasting ramifications for, uh, for doing this thing. It's almost more of like a, a business strategy.
1: It depends. Yeah. It depends on how it is structured. And unfortunately, many people who are impoverished and fall into bankruptcy do not have the means or the connections to have someone help them set up the, these. I, I'm gesturing in the air right now because so much of this stuff is an idea. It's you know, huge. Mm, it's huge. huge. It is. <laughs> yep. uh, and then there's another one, medical bills. This is also, we're, at this point, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're just giving you the lay of the land of debt in the US. So regardless of the political stance, regardless of what television channel is most often trying to convince you to believe something, the fact remains that for the vast majority of the of citizens, the United States has the most inefficient and expensive health care system in the developed world. This is not just a country where people die because a disease or a condition is incurable. This is a country where people die because uh, they cannot afford a treatment. And for some people, that is a great tragedy. For other people, that is uh a result of the individual's decisions sure. imagine, is how it, is how it goes. But well, the reason we bring this up for the purposes of this show is because medical bills in this country are a leading cause of bankruptcy. Yep, they're a leading cause of people uh, going into crippling debt. And we have current debt issues, a lot of which are medically related.
0: Yeah, when you look at the country overall and debts that are kind of hanging out, waiting for the national government to pay. The first one is Social Security, and we looked at the summary of the 2016 annual report by the Social Security and Medicare Board of Trustees, which sounds like a a fun place to work. They they note that. Over the 80-year history of the social social security program it's collected roughly 19 trillion dollars and paid out 16.1 trillion dollars leaving its asset reserves currently at 2.8 trillion at the end by the end of 2015. Now here's here's the problem. The ratio of reserves to one year's projected cost it peaked in 2008 and then it's been declining. Uh, up until 2015, and ex- it's expected to decline even further until they're completely uh, depleted in 2034, which means this money that's supposed to go to uh, help families with retirement, people who have disabilities, um, you know, all, all kinds of issues, people that need this money to survive that we all pay into when you're a wage worker in the U.S., it's just going to be gone. And that's something that's just kind of looming there in the horizon that we have to think about. And the same goes for Medicare, which is, uh, you know, dwindling quickly. Mm -hmm. All the, all these huge, the, the huge amounts of money that are owed essentially on paper to people who once they reach a certain age needs to be paid out.
1: Right. Yeah. And the, one of the issues with this is that. At various times, the money for both of those programs has been either controversially redistributed Mm -hmm. or maybe misunderestimated is a good word.
0: (laughs) Misunderestimated. I Mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, there, it's two serious issues that we're going to have to face at some point. And, and that group we just mentioned, they're saying that legislation needs to be enacted sooner or later to minimize the impact on beneficiaries, human beings who are going to need that money.
1: So what's uh what what's the international state of debt here?
4: Well, according to nationaldebtclocks.org, worldwide national debt stands at 60 trillion, 901 billion, and counting.
0: That seems like a lot of money.
4: It seems like mad money, made up money imaginary money it's a number that's too big to be real i mean that okay. um, that sounds alarmist but whenever i see this stuff on paper i'm just like this is no one's ever expecting to get paid back all of this money it's the debt itself is its own function serves its own function as we've talked about it's its own financial instrument exactly you know and that it, it's fascinating to me and i think for some people that idea Maybe makes them more willing to go into debt because it's sort of like, well, if if we're running a deficit as a country, why can't I run a little bit of a deficit? You why know? can't I you know? have some more cars? I should have the stuff, you know. It's I, I want to live the dream, mm-hmm. and it's easy to get credit. You don't have to have that much equity to get credit. You just have to have a decent paying job and. Not an absurdly low credit
0: score. It's not hard. Well, in this case, we're talking about countries themselves. Oh, I know. Right. I mean, yeah, used so to say that. Perspective, all I'm saying, perspective yeah. wise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: I think uh, when you see these kinds of numbers and you hear about how much you know the United States is in debt, etc., yeah. it almost makes you say, "Well, well, hell." Yeah, yeah. Wh- why not me? Who, who cares, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't seem like anyone's getting paid back, so why not just uh, roll the dice?
1: Right, and to emphasize this perspective further, uh, let's break it down by the top owing countries in the world. Now it's time for another breakdown.
0: Russia.
4: 147.6 billion.
3: Australia. 346.4 billion.
0: Canada, 814.7 billion.
2: United Kingdom, 2.3 trillion. China, 5.4 trillion. Japan, 8.9 trillion. United States, all together now, 19.3 trillion. What? 19.3
1: trillion.
2: Oh, why did I do a
4: fake air horn? I guess you could just put one in. (laughs) What are you talking about? That was the best, like, (laughs) mouth air horn I've ever heard in my life,
0: Ben. Thank you. I know I'm prone to hyperbole, but I really do believe that. (laughs) So that's a significant proportion of the overall global debt that the U.S. holds right there, which, you know, worries me a little bit. So how does that break down per person, Matt? Going back to that argumentative perspective. Okay, so there are 323 million humans, roughly, in the United States right now, uh, citizens, and, you know, $19.3 $19.3 trillion, that amounts to just under $60,000 of national debt per U.S. citizen, and it represents 107% of the country's gross domestic product year over year. So if somehow we could stop paying, stop all payments on everything in this country for a year, uh, you know, we'd be able to pay off our national debt, which is kind of cool.
1: Now, let's also emphasize that this is not the... This is not the same kind of debt that you might encounter if you have a student loan, or absolutely. for instance. Or this is not the same kind of debt you would encounter if you purchased um, a moped.
0: Sure, absolutely, and and all the numbers that we've discussed here in in our breakdown and the one about the uh, the sixty thousand dollars per person. These are very basic, uh, base level. Numbers. And if you get deeper down in the accounting, it gets it gets really tricky. And I was trying to familiarize myself and understand it, but you guys. It's difficult.
1: Right. Uh none of us are classically trained economists, uh, and we would love to hear from any uh economist in the audience. We'd love to hear your opinion on the state of debt.
4: Fun fact though, I am a classically trained violinist.
1: It is true. That is awesome. You're a man of many talents. I have a little story for for us relating to the U.S. national debt. Okay. Would you like to hear it? You know, I'm Come focused. at me with it. All right. Okay. <laughs> was, uh, there was there <coughs> some, was hesitation, some there. hesitation there. Uh, all right. So story comes from a guy named Jason Seligman. Jason Seligman, you see, was an economist. He was quite good at his job. Mm-hmm. So good, in fact, that he worked 1,600 Pennsylvania Avenue Uh where he worked, his boss lived there. He worked for the president. That's how good he was. And he was tortured at this time because he was thinking for 16 hours a day on this project he was working on for his boss, a report that he was going to write for his boss. And in that report, He ran into a realization that might stun a lot of people. And he wrote, uh, with, with his team, a report called life after debt, which they submitted to then president Bill Clinton and which journalists got a hold of years later through a freedom of information act request. And life after debt is a report that you can read it for free online. It is a report that outlines what would happen if the U.S. paid down its debt to zero. And they wrote this in December of 2000 because that's the year the U.S. Treasury began actively buying back public debt, creating, um, you know, digging its way out of the financial hole it was in. But they realized... Jason realized eventually that while there is such a thing as too much debt for countries, there's also such a thing as too little debt. So Hmm. countries don't want to necessarily have a a surplus. In many cases, it's unreasonable outside of, you know, a few, a few countries like the, like Nordic countries, uh, maybe some oil, oil wealth countries. So what we see is that, the international level understanding of debt and the individual levels of understanding of debt is different. Not all debt is created equally. Ah. Businesses will go into debt and have uh, specialized, custom fit or bespoke plans for balancing that debt. However, someone who was built into a series of high-interest credit cards or student loans will often not have that sort of recourse. Here in this country, there are federal programs that are supposed to provide assistance Mm -hmm. for people who have the misfortune of not being a business or a country when they go into debt. However, much more money is spent – by the folks who make money off of credit cards and student loans to make sure that system continues. And as of now, debt, what we've explained so far, yes, there is an inequality of debt. Not all debt is created equal. Not all people are in debt, but debt is a problem for a lot of individuals, especially uh, here in the West. But the truth of the matter is, debt makes the world go round. So, we were asking ourselves a few weeks back, what would happen if we woke up one day and all of the debt disappeared?
0: We'll find out right after a quick message from our sponsor. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, everyone, it's story time. Let's imagine a scenario where this actually happened, where, where, through some act of massive uh, buffoonery, sorcery—it's <laughs> not mm-hmm. buffoonery. Deus ex machina. <laughs> Something insane happened, and Mister Noel Brown wakes up in a world free from debt. <sighs> I can hear how relaxed he is. Oh, exactly. Man, look at this world, free from debt. Yeah. Well, th- the great news is, if he had any student loans, medical bills, oh, credit cards, a mortgage I to do. pay off, all of that, automatically he'd be in the clear for all those is it debts. Gone? It's gone. Oh, what a time to be alive,
1: guys. So, so what? What would he do? Of course, he would take some. uh He would want to get take some cash, get sure. on that first uh, dream trip. With uh, his, you know, his honey, his squeeze, his girl, yeah, yeah, whomever. Yeah. And uh, naturally, they would go to uh, Borneo. They would go to Borneo. Okay. And go to Borneo.
0: But wait, there would be some problems here.
1: Oh, to get the tickets to Borneo, Noel Brown has to buy them. And the debit card he tries to use to buy the ticket doesn't work. Because the bank that runs that debit card is in a tailspin. Because debt no longer exists. And the dirty open secret about banks. I don't know if it's necessarily called dirty. It's just how they work Mm -hmm. is that the money in Noel Brown's account was used to be a loan to someone else.
0: Yeah. Rain Capital used it to invest in a a small company in Atlanta or something like that.
1: Yeah. And that's when, that's when Noel Brown has to explain to this woman that he loves, he was going to take in on a magical, romantic getaway to Borneo, why they can't go to Borneo, and he gives her his following speech.
4: Well, you see, as it turns out, most of the money in the world is really just someone else's debt. What? Yeah, the money in your bank account, my bank account, our joint bank account, because we're in love, is mostly on loan to other people. Why? Yeah, the bank... They took our money and they used it to give someone else a car loan, to give someone else a home loan, to give someone else a loan to buy a sweet new computer. Oh. But wait, there's more. There's an upside here. Okay. For the banks. What? Yeah. They get to use some sneaky accounting, very tricksy accounting. And, uh, by doing that, they don't have to hold everyone's money all of the time. It's a, it's sort of a game of, uh, you know, back and forth. It's being moved around all over the place. They just hold some of the money. And by some, we're talking a, a tiny fraction. So at the height of the financial crisis in 2007, many banks were actually leveraged at a ratio of 30 to one. Ben, can you clarify that? <sighs> Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, so in this scenario, I've, I've showed up at Noel's house and <laughs> he's explaining to the love of his like, life. Hey, can't go to Bordeaux. Well,
4: no, we're at the airport.
1: Oh, you're at the airport. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. David now, parking. now I feel underdressed because I'm obviously in my jammies, <laughs> but I only go to the airport in my jammies. Uh, I think that's the only time I've ever said the word jammies. All right. Rule of three. So to clarify, Noel Brown, in his moving, tragic speech, would be telling this this uh love of his life and whomever else is going to go with them that his bank account and all bank accounts are essentially emptied unless the bank magically replenishes the account, which would throw things into chaos, but, you know, it is a series of keystrokes on a computer screen.
0: At least we have the FDIC that insures uh, up to a certain amount, right? Right, right. Uh, but a bank no longer
1: has a reason to exist as its sole purpose for it, from this perspective is to move debt around every stock exchange while Noel Brown is delivering this speech in Hartsfield Airport. I imagine you're in Hartsfield. Of course. Okay. Uh it, every stock exchange closes. Noel's investment portfolio is wiped out. Uh the Puka shells he still has. But any Puka shell futures, any uh Puka shell short, uh, short stocks. Mm-hmm. I'm just making up words. Yeah, I'm, no. g- I'm
0: going to need that Countach back. <laughs> Sorry, I hope you don't mind.
1: Because an investment is just funding someone else's debt with the promise or the hope of getting more back in return. But no one will pay you back. And also, uh, Noel and his sweetie's retirement funds, they have one along with everybody else's, also, poof, vanish. There's a guy named Thomas Dalton who I think described this really well. Uh, what would happen if lenders wrote off all debts, he says, is that there would be a massive transfer of wealth from net lenders to net borrowers. The net lenders of the world are things like governments, right? Uh, and young adults, are we are often net borrowers, and those close to retirement are often net lenders because pension funds invest by lending at least some of the money out. So what would happen if debt was erased would be a massive transfer of wealth from the old to the young and to governments. And Dalton also says we can make a mistake by thinking of this as a transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor, but it wouldn't work that way because the very poor don't usually have much debt. No one is willing to lend to them. It's only those with large incomes or assets or potential incomes that build up significant debt. So depending on what governments do, now that they're free from paying interest on their debts, they were never going to actually pay back the debt, so it's just the interest. The poor might benefit from extra government spending. However, it might be the rich that benefit from tax cuts. Pensioners and those who are getting to retirement age would have some serious difficulties. The super wealthy, says Dalton, may lose some money, but they usually invest in equity rather than debt. Uh, so since the companies they own often... Have a lot of debt the share prices would probably increase enormously, assuming of course that the stock market would still be around which is debatable and then he said in addition institutional lenders would all be bankrupt banks insurance companies pension funds the world economy would probably collapse and to be honest everyone would suffer erasing all debt this that that's his quotation In our opinion, erasing all debt is the nuclear weapon of economic warfare, which sounds kind of heady until we realize that economic warfare already exists today. It's occurred in the past. We've talked about it a little bit before with a guy named John Perkins, who wrote a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman in which he says he worked for an engineering company in Boston, and his job was to convince leaders of underdeveloped countries to accept development loans for construction and engineering projects and having a condition of those loans be that the projects went to U.S. companies, Mm -hmm. and these loans would later give the U.S. government influence and access to natural resources.
0: And we have a quote from the book that we're going to read here. Economic hitmen are highly paid professionals who cheat countries around the globe out of trillions of dollars. They funnel money from the World Bank, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and other foreign aid organizations into the coffers of huge corporations and the pockets of a few wealthy families who control the planet's natural resources. Their tools included fraudulent financial reports, rigged elections, payoffs, extortion, sex, and murder. They play a game that is old as empire, but one that has taken on a new and terrifying dimension during this time of globalization. And this is something that we've explored before, uh, often referred to as resource
1: extraction. Yeah. So that's one example of how economic warfare could work. And that would pale in comparison to the economic warfare of erasing all debt, regardless of the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Erasing all debt would be strange, but how, how could this? We're talking about the ideas, right? Yeah. And we've talked about the numbers of debt, but let's talk about how this could work. How could someone erase debt?
0: Well, to do this, we look at some examples from pop culture because that's really the only place where this has been fully explored.
4: Yeah. And there's some fun ones. And I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> one of the ones that comes to mind um, that we haven't explicitly discussed together is the movie escape from la where oh, at yeah. the end they uh they, we are going to get into some spoiler territory here y'all so if we're mentioning a uh, a movie or something and you don't want to know what happens you should probably skip ahead maybe
0: 7 minutes or so or you know go back 10 years and watch escape from well, LA. you know, it's, it's on, it's on the Netflix, <laughs> I think you can get
4: it. But at the end of Escape from LA, there is a device that essentially shuts down all electricity, shuts mm-hmm. down even batteries. They make a point in it to say like, oh, this will even like render all batteries useless. It's and a dangerous device. You know, yeah, so this is sort of like a super extreme version where it's like an all-encompassing attack mm-hmm. that would not only get rid of all dead as we know it, but pretty much reduce, you know, humanity to back to the dark ages. We mm-hmm. have to, you know, start over. But a really really good one that does specifically deal with um, actually targeting financial corporations is Fight Club, um, the yeah. 1999 David Ooh. Fincher film based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, there are some pretty significant differences between the novel and the and the film, but they do a pretty good job of having a very similar uh Let's say mission statement. Sure. So mm-hmm. in Fight Club, um, there's the group of, uh, these kind of overly Project Yeah, Project Mayhem. That's right. Sort of a bunch of like, uh, depressed, overly macho males. Middle aged. Uh, Middle aged. Yeah. They want to fight back because they feel like they've been marginalized by society. They are angry. Um, honestly, their motivations are not particularly, um, Positive. They're not really trying to help anybody. They just kind of want to watch the world burn a little bit. Um, in my opinion, that's that's what I take from it. But in order to do this, they stage an attack, what could reasonably be considered a terrorist attack mm-hmm. on um, the corporate headquarters of several large credit card companies. I think there are seven buildings that are destroyed during the end scene, which to me is such an iconic scene, and it's the first place I ever heard the Pixies a uh, song where is my oh mind. yeah that and was, the I was first like time. who is this band and then i you know was mm-hmm. down a rabbit hole from then on and here um, we are here we are so um I, even at the time i always thought this was sort of a little bit of a rudimentary example of wiping out the debt b- because it's like surely these things are backed up elsewhere you know not just in the building and by blowing up a building alone you're not wiping out the debt it would require some sort of deep Infiltration of an entire file system and structure and network, you right. know, getting much more into hacker territory. Um, before we get there though, a little bit of an interesting factoid that Matt, uh, turned me on to. Um, did you guys know that in the novel Fight Club, it takes place in Wilmington, Delaware? Do you guys remember? No, 12, I do. No 1209 North Orange Street. Uh-huh. The Corporation Trust Center, the official address of over 285,000 companies. Oh man. Yep. Wilmington, Delaware. Um, there's a couple of little inklings in the film that it takes place <laughs> there as well, but I thought that was a pretty clever nod and this address keeps popping up for us. We're going to have to yeah. do, I think we're going to have to do like a whole episode yeah. of just this address.
1: Let's take a, let's, let's go there physically. Would you guys sure, want yeah. to do that? Let's field trip it. Uh, listeners, let us know if you, you would want us to go there. Maybe we can meet up to hang out.
4: So like I said, I mean, I don't feel like this example holds up. This is more of sort of an anarchist kind of, like I said, watch the world burn kind of thing. But, um, we have, we have a really good example in, uh, our, our wonderful sponsors, as it turns out, Mr. Robot, um, the series involving a sort of anonymous-esque Society of hackers mm-hmm. called F Society, who orchestrates a very high-level cyber attack against E Corp, uh, which to me is, I think, a very clever stand-in for Enron, mm-hmm. maybe, or like any other giant corporation or financial like financial lever or something. Sure. Um, and to me, this is this is how you would you would do this if you were going to attempt to do some kind of. Uh, to orchestrate some kind of complete erasure of the debt record. It would have to be through infiltrating these systems, not just blowing up a building or one computer or one set of servers.
0: Yeah. And they, and they do a, I guess it's a two pronged attack. There may even be more than that, that we just don't understand uh, as viewers in, you know, in the world of Mr. Robot, but they do it by using this thing called interpreter, which is a Metasploit backdoor and the main character Elliot goes into the, the main servers of E Corp installs a really simple, uh program like an EXE file on their server, which then gives them an, an easy to access backdoor uh, to the server so they can go in. It's crazy. It uses memory. So it's not actually writing anything to disc. It's just using the RAM on the, on the machine to create this backdoor. I don't pretend to understand the hacking tools, but according to numerous people online who are actually in the infosec space and all this, they are saying that yes, this is, this is real. You could do this and you could delete information if you had this kind of backdoor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows.
1: That's up to 75% off a summer full of your
2: favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, Peso Bluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less! Grab your tickets now through May 14th to See all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each.
0: Visit LiveNation.com slash Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com
4: slash Week to
0: buy now.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: Attention true crime enthusiast,
2: searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD
4: relief. Yeah, and like we've said about the show, I mean it definitely gets a lot of this stuff right. Even like the uh when you see the dude doing his uh hacking, it looks like command line things instead of some sort of bizarro like 3D rendering of the internet as it would be if you were floating around like in yeah. oh, yeah. and hackers or something.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of that uh nineties film Hackers as well. Uh so what would be a hit in these things? Insurance companies, banks uh, insurance companies are bigger depositories of this kind of value than you might think. Um there would also of course be government institutions. This would be stuff like this would have to involve treasuries as well as mints. Mm-hmm. Uh this this would involve a simultaneous attack on thousands of things. It'd be very difficult to do. It also makes me wonder it's a little off, but it also makes me wonder, if someone had that power, why stop at debt? Why not also erase repositories of personal information? Hmm. So like medical info, uh, your, the metadata that, uh, the National Snooping Administration collects from you. Uh,
0: the Facebook servers.
1: Right. All of them. Yeah. Uh, And we talked a little bit about the attack strategies. I think when you mentioned the escape from LA scenario of effectively cutting off electronic stuff, right? What does this, what does this cloud money mean if we cannot access the cloud?
0: Yeah, if you would have to kill electricity indefinitely in order to make that work, because there are you know all of these huge institutions like Iron Mountain that hold sensitive data sure. like this, yeah, they've got like crazy generators and backup power and all this other well, stuff. Well, and not
4: to mention they keep backups on like physical. Tapes and things like that, you know, like stuff that would stand the test of time in a vault, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're constantly updating these things and backing up all their, all their data. So yeah, absolutely.
1: In the old days of my family, it was very different. Uh, there were things that would happen when somebody wanted to get, wanted information to disappear. I mean, think about it. We live in a time where just Less than what, a hundred years ago, uh, even up to the 1970s, 1980s, if a, uh, right, definitely 60s or so, if a bank or a courthouse burned, then there would be no evidence of debt or arrests or records. There were people in my family who were not sure when they were born. Because oh, wow. Yeah, because someone burned a courthouse or two. What? Yeah. And uh, this, I mean, but we no longer live in that world because there are multiple copies of these records, mm-hmm. which leads us to why it probably wouldn't work if we're talking about global debt
0: records. Yeah, so in, in the world of Mr. Robot, it does work, um, and that's because E-Corp, Evil Corp, owns roughly 70% of the consumer credit industry, which is – a bit hard to fathom in our world. It means they would just own as subsidiaries, let's say, uh, Capital One and Ooh. most of the Visa, uh, other companies that use Visa or MasterCard or any of those. I feel like in theory we have
4: laws in place to
0: prevent things like that from happening. Well, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen in the, the future for us, you know, but it, but in our world. It's, and this is not debatable, these various industries from credit cards, mortgages, student loans, health insurance, all of these are controlled by hundreds and hundreds of separate competing companies, like you said earlier, Ben, and you would have to, I mean, you would have to strike at a huge number of locations in order to make this happen. Um, in fact, almost all the computers. Mm -hmm. Um, and okay. So let's say you were able to take out a single huge international credit card company. I'm just using Capital One. Sorry, Capital One. I'm just using it because I have your credit card. Huh. Um, it, it would be this tiny, itsy-bitsy little dent in the all-encompassing global debt machine that exists all around mm-hmm.
1: us. Right. And uh, there are so many eyes watching this as well. There are multiple multiple international state level and even local institutions that are tasked with doing this. But then there's another thing, which is uh, many countries maintain a reserve of actual resources rather mm-hmm. than just currencies. So the U.S. has, you've probably heard, a strategic reserve of petrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, U.S. has strategic reserves of uh, valuable metals, mm-hmm. right? And other countries do the same thing. And then we have other reserves of other people's currencies. So if you hit one country, then the currency that didn't get hit, that money will just become more valuable. Yeah. So think of these reserves as massive savings accounts. They fluctuate as spending is needed. Uh, in some countries, those reserves are uh, dwindling.
4: These currency reserves, mm-hmm. right? So here's just a few examples. In some countries, these reserves are dwindling. They're getting low. According to the World Bank, the US had 574 billion in total reserves in 2012. In 2015, the reserves fell below 107 billion. Um, but in other countries, these reserves are actually skyrocketing. In 2000, China held 172 billion. And that's in US dollars. Correct. And in 2015, China's reserves jumped to a whopping 3.34 trillion. Yes, trillion. And there are numerous reasons
1: behind this. Uh, some have to do with the importance of one currency versus another or treasury bonds. Another has to do with trade versus. Currency
0: or trade balance. And overall strategies Mm -hmm. of where you're, where you're going with your country. It's, it's a fascinating thing that I think Ben, maybe we should look at in the future. Okay. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Uh, and especially if this interests you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we can cover it. There's the other, the other factor here that, Disaster recovery data backup. Something happens. Let's say there is an attempt. Well, uh, the Mr. Robot scenario, as they said before, makes a little more sense than the demolish the buildings plan in Fight mm-hmm. Club because they're targeting servers mm-hmm. uh, as well as backup data stores. And these things have started to become commonplace in the 1970s when people began to realize how, um, Matt, you described it best when you said insanely dependent we are, we as a species yes. become on computers and the data contained within those. So the strategies are redundancy plus offsite and cloud storage. Yep. The records of what is what and when exist in multiple places, uh, which is also strange because that kind of thing that not omnipresence, but I guess by location is one of the miracles sometimes attributed to saints. So going back to our earlier thing about modern mythology in a way through robotics or through electronics and computing, we are once again building the miracles of old, but in a very strange way. So, when we're looking at this, the question is, what is the stuff they don't want you to know? More immediately, who are they? Well, at this point, we can say, we, we feel, we feel pretty secure saying that one of the problems with learning objectively about everything from individual finance to the financial food fight that is international relations, uh, and food fight being, you know, an allusion to the resources. Uh, the, what, what we're seeing is that it's tough to learn this because the people who can teach you have agendas. Ah. So.
0: You learned this firsthand, huh?
1: Well, the, yeah, people who can teach you will have agendas. And that, you know, naturally, that can tie into almost anything that we learn. You know, somebody who is an Egyptologist is going to have a very different opinion about the importance of Egypt and civilization, right?
0: Sure. But in this case, the stakes are high and they're currency.
1: Right. And I mean, I'm, of course, we're not denigrating Egypt, which is enormously influential. Oh, no. Sure. Sure. But but uh, but yeah, maybe archaeology is a bad comparison. I think that's that's a great point, though. If you ask a, uh, an economist from the U.S. versus an economist from China or an economist from Russia or Iran, you're going to receive different answers, and they're not necessarily the wrong answers from that economist. They're the... They're the answers that most benefit that perspective, sure. right? And this means that in our conversations, Noel, Matt and I may have different perspectives. It doesn't, it, this is a case where if we disagree, it doesn't mean one of us is wrong.
4: Well, let's get down to it. I mean, at the end of the day, economics isn't an exact science. There are different schools of thought mm-hmm. that are deep-rooted in older schools of thought, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like you said, just because one person has a particular perspective doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong, and the true answer might be somewhere in between, combining different perspectives. Mm-hmm. There's a lot I of mean, philosophy involved. There's a lot of philosophy involved. I always use ideology. Yeah, exactly, uh, yeah, sure, but it's it's sure. very... Sure. It's, it's not... <laughs> I don't want to say that it's imprecise, I think that's that's short selling it just a little bit, because, I mean, obviously there is a lot of detailed high level thinking that goes into this, but it's much more like a theory, you know, than it is yeah. a
1: formula. We also did not. We also haven't looked at uh, what would happen if a concentrated segment or type of debt were erased. Yeah. If just, for instance, just mortgage, how specific do we want to go, gents? Just mortgages on ranch style homes are just wiped out. Like what would that, that would still have a ripple, less of an effect, but it would
4: still happen. I'd be cool with that. I'll tell you it would have a ripple if, uh, you know, all loans for, uh, any kind of watercraft you know, like a sailboat or a jet ski. Hey, eliminated. it would have many ripples. Yeah. Uh, I think wow. that was
1: worth it. Wow, yeah. so worth it. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit about the consequences. The, the they The stuff they don't want you to know for this episode, the stuff will be the state of economy debt in the world affecting individual debt. An individual debt affecting
0: the action of states, the and the existence of currency. What right. is it? Yeah, you know, is it just? Is it truly just an IOU?
1: Is it simply a system of coupons that future historians will find uh, will put on the par of lost religions? Right. Wow. I mean, it's that's an extreme point of view, or that's an extreme way to phrase that question. But what do you think, ladies and gentlemen, we we spent some time on this one, so uh, we're going to head out of here, but we would like to hear from you. Any uh, stories you have that you think more people should know about debt, whether individual or international, what you think, if anything, could be changed to fix this, or is this perfect the way it is? And most importantly, do you think the world's debt should be erased despite the... Frankly, certain and inevitable consequences, because I'll say my personal perspective here, even if there were some kind of financial kill switch, a reset button that would take debt to zero. Eventually, debt would a system of debt would evolve.
0: Yeah.
4: Puka shells.
1: You are on the ground floor, my man. (laughs) So you can uh, let us know your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook and Twitter. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show yes. on Instagram. And if you have feedback for this, we'd love to hear from you. Even more importantly, if you have a suggestion for an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear that because our best shows come from your suggestions. Well,
4: before we drop that little tidbit on you um i just want to say one more time if you guys listen to the show on itunes if you listen to the show on spotify stitcher any place you listen to it if there's a spot where you can drop a little review uh and you have something positive to say please do so we really appreciate it It kind of helps people discover the show and as ben uh, likes to say it makes us less likely to get uh get canned
0: so, if you want to say something super personal, and you don't want to do any of the other things that we've just mentioned, you can send us an email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com.
4: Live Nation presents Concert Week
0: from now through May 14th. Get twenty-five dollar tickets to over five thousand summer shows.
2: That's up to seventy-five percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer. Baso Pluma, Sean Paul, Some Forty One, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just twenty. 20- $25 each.
0: Visit livestation.com/concertweek to buy now. That's livestation.com/concertweek
2: to buy now.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.